Pastor Ed Taylor on God's love being poured in you and flowing out of you. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers, torrents of living water to which you connect with the Spirit of God pouring into you. Out of you will come torrents of living water of, well, of love connected with the Holy Spirit. That we have the love of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The greatest demonstration of your salvation is how you love and to see you love. And how is love demonstrated? But demonstrated through action and through obedience. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We sing, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and all you need is love. That has never been truer than it is now, especially when you understand the connection between love and hope. We'll hear more about that on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as we continue a message called Hope from God's Love. We'll discover how hope is tied to love in just a minute. But first, Pastor Ed has a bit more to say about how God produces hope in us from Romans 5. God is working. What is he producing through the trials? He's producing perseverance or endurance, character. And listen, those of us in trial, God is developing hope in us. And this hope does not disappoint. This hope does not disappoint. Disappointment is tied. Listen, disappointment is tied to expectations. So that when I expect something and you don't do it, I'm disappointed in you. God doesn't have wrong expectations of you and me. So he's never disappointed in you. He never disappointed in you. Think about that. Your father in heaven, he's never disappointed in you because he knows you. And he knows as a dad what you need to grow and mature. But we often are disappointed. We're disappointed with each other and we often are disappointed with God. Only because I believe we've stepped outside of love and stepped outside of hope. Because the Bible says hope does not disappoint. And remember, hope is not a feeling. Hope is not a decision. Hope is a person. Hope is found in our faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel. The greatest display of God ever to see a person born again. To see a person go from loveless to loving. From ungodly to godly. To me, it's powerful. And to think that God is overflowing us with his love is amazing. Let me show you a couple more things before we go. First John, turn over with me to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. The love of God. You know, the Bible is a book of love. It starts with God and ends with God. And then love flows through our lives. Changes our families. Rescues a sinner. Breaks addiction. Takes hopelessness and replaces it with hope. And I love this in 1 John chapter 4. Notice with me verse 17. Where John writes and he says, Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. 
because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And verse 19 is so good. We love him because he first loved us. You see, love came down before it ever went up. God is the initiator. He started it all. But then notice this. Verses 20 and 21 are just as powerful and, and just as sweet. It says, if someone says, I love God. So let's say that out loud. You ready? I love God. Say it out loud. I love God. Okay, so everyone's accountable to what the rest of the verse says. I love God. And I know you do. I know it's not just something you, okay, pastor, you tell me to, I'll say it, but I don't really want to say it. I know you love God. I know those of you that are born again have a real relationship with God. So here we are. If you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. We say, I love God, but I hate my brother, then I'm not telling the truth. Why? Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And this is across the board. It's not just to one group of people. It's across the board. We have a tendency in our lives to take sides on every issue. What you do when you take sides is you value one group and you put down the other. However, if God has created us all in his image, then you're going to love the people you agree with and you're going to love the people you disagree with. Why? Because you love God. You have the love of God in you. And so the peacemakers, the peacemakers on the earth, that's you and me, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, are going to have a supernatural love that's different than what the world experiences. And when I say world, I mean our culture. It's a supernatural, otherworldly love that God has poured out into our hearts, that God has initiated, and that we're the responders. And so it causes us to say, I love God. That's the first part of the, of the summary of the law. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. All of us. And to me, that, that could be a source today of your hopelessness. I know it's hard to hear, but I need to say it. A source of your hopelessness today could be from your lovelessness. That you forget that this world is not all there is. And the only hope for men and women, boys and girls, in this culture is the love of God. That's the only hope. There is no other source of hope. No other source. The world that we live in is thirsty. Let me show you. Turn over to John chapter 7 now. John chapter 7. I can't help but turn to this section of the Bible in John 7, 37. I can't help but think of our time on the southern steps outside the retaining wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's one of our stops when we take a tour there. We go to the southern steps. The group sits up on the steps looking south. And then I get to look up and teach the group looking north, looking up to the wall. If I were to turn around and look with the group, I would see a sloping hill going downward. You can't see it. But at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, which is another place you could walk through Hezekiah's tunnel, you will end up in a place known in the Bible as the Pool of Siloam. And at the time that John chapter 7 verse 37 takes place, through the southern steps, through the gate, through the southern steps, the priests would go down on every day of this feast with a large jar. And they would go into the pool of Siloam and they would fill that jar with great rejoicing and great celebration. And they would come up, up through the stairs, into the temple mount, around the altar, and they would pour that water out as a remembrance of God's faithfulness to quench their thirst in the wilderness. 
They'd look back on what God did, and they'd be encouraged. They'd do that every day, every day, every day, except the eighth day, the last day. On the last day, they didn't go down and get water. They would have an empty pitcher, symbolizing that God has satisfied their thirst, that he is the one that's satisfying. Now, check this out. This is the last day in verse 37. On the last day, the day when no water is poured out, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's this great celebration, the faithfulness of God, quenching the thirst of his people. On the last day, it's satisfied, it's done. And Jesus stands and says, you know, I know that even though you're in a symbolic feast and you're worshiping God, I know that you're still thirsty. And if anybody here is thirsty, he says, you come to me and I will quench your thirst from the inside. Inside, out of your innermost being will flow rivers, torrents of living water. To which you connect with Romans 5, 5, and you know the Spirit of God poured into you, out of you will come torrents of living water, of torrents and rivers of, well, of love connected with the Holy Spirit. That we have the love of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The greatest demonstration of your salvation is how you love and to see you love. And how is love demonstrated? But demonstrated through action and through obedience. You say, Ed, well, what does love look like? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 now. Really, if you want to know the love of God, you read through the scriptures and you see God because God is love. But to help us along the way, we do have a short demonstration of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's worth repeating for our time today. Pick up in verse 4 where it describes love. These are descriptions of what love looks like. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Verse 5, love does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Jesus says, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for this type of love? He's talking about a deep spiritual thirst that's in every human being a universal thirst that people will do anything that they can possibly think of to try to quench that thirst. Because deep down inside, we all need God. Our lives will never be complete and cannot be complete without him. And there's a hunger in a loveless culture for a real demonstration of love. There's a hunger and a thirst for the love of God. And yet you find man spending their whole lives trying to live apart from God's love. They want the love of God, they just don't want the God of love. And so maybe even some of you listening, watching, sitting here today, that's, that's the course of your life. You've done everything possible to try to quench that thirst and you still are empty and dissatisfied. You're still unhappy. You even attained the goal that you had and then once you got it, you said, is this all there is? And it left you more empty 
than before. A lot of people choose the route of some sinful action, like sin will give it to me, and only to find out not only will sin not satisfy you, it will wreck you, and you'll be worse off than when you started. You know, dumb things in our culture. You know, if your hair is this color, you'll be happy. If you drive this car, you'll be happy. If you own this house and live in this neighborhood and have this, you know, if, if, I, if I just had this amount of money, I'd be happy. And yet you find that it's really not even about, it's not the bank account that's going to make you happy. God, it's not what you have in the bank that's designed to make you happy. It's what you have in the bank of how God's going to use you. And it's not the house you've ever wanted. Like the house that God has given you is to be used for his glory. It's not to satisfy you. No house is going to satisfy you, but God will satisfy you. No amount of money will ever, it, I mean, how much money could you possibly have that would satisfy you? And now some of you go, I don't know, Ed, but I'd sure like to test it. No, well, I would too. But God doesn't have that for me. He says, no, what I have for you is not money, Ed. I have myself for you. I have all that you want, Ed. And I approach him and you approach him by faith. By faith. I trust that God has for me what he wants for me because he's going to use me for his glory. There's a song that I was introduced to not too many months ago by a man by the name of Pat Barrett. And we actually sing quite a few songs. So I would encourage you, if you subscribe to music services, you should listen to this song. Uh, we're actually going to end the service in this song. Uh, it's called Better by Pat Barrett. And I want to read to you some of the lyrics here that I have uh, from this song. I've been listening to it a lot recently, and uh, it's on my playlist. It's so good. The bro this brother's so gifted. Unbelievable. Here's, here's some of the lyrics of the song. It says, All the money that the world could hold, mountains made of solid gold, riches that could buy my dreams, you are better than all these things. The prettiest face to turn their eyes, beauty that could hypnotize, the open doors that looks may bring, you are better than all these things. Power that could shake the moon, most important one in every room, status matched by only kings, you are better than all these things. Being liked and loved by everyone, approval that outshines the sun, cheered by all who think of me, you are better than all these things. And it encapsulates just a few of the strands that people will chase after to enjoy some sort of happiness and satisfaction. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. If that's where you are today, Jesus invites you to himself. One more place. Go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 6. You got to see this because I, I don't want you leaving here feeling helpless or hopeless. And Jesus gives us insight of his power in Luke chapter 6, verse 6. It's the instance where Jesus healed that man with the withered hand. It was on the Sabbath. You know, the religious guys are all upset and they're mad at Jesus. And, and notice, pick up with me in verse 6 of Luke 6, where it says, It happened on another Sabbath that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. People are always looking and making accusation. They're always watching because critical hearts are always critical. And that's where they're at. They don't care about this guy with the withered hand. These are the ones that represent God. And they don't care about a man who has a withered hand. They just want to trap Jesus. Jesus, it says, knew their thoughts in verse 8. 
and said to the man with the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. That really is no big deal if you think about it. This is something the man with the withered hand could do. His body was okay. So he could get up and walk. And I love that about Jesus. Many times in preparing us to do the impossible, God calls us to do the possible. God's about ready to explode on this guy. But before he does, he's got to get up and come over. I guess the guy could have said, I don't want to get up. Why should I get up? You come to me. I mean, I guess he could have copped an attitude, but that's not where he was. Because, you know, when you live with pain, you live with difficulty, you live with a withered hand, you live with oppression, you're ready to follow the Lord, the one that will love you to the end. That's where he's at. And he has to walk in front of all the religious rulers and all their pomp and circumstance and all their critical eyes and all the whispers. He doesn't care. And he he does what God calls him to do. Jesus says, do this, and he could do it, so he did it. But notice... Jesus then looks around and says, verse 9, I'll ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now this was impossible. The guy had a withered hand. And I wonder how many times he woke up or thought and sent the signal from his brain down his spinal cord, through his nerve endings, all the way to the end, and he sent the signal, move, move. Will it move today? Did my finger move? And he'd be looking to say, did I get healed? Did God answer my prayers? And day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, withered hand, withered hand, withered hand. Listen, that could describe your life today when it comes to love. Even as a believer, you haven't transcended into the area and the fruit of the Spirit that's love. And there's still a lot of hatred in your heart. And there's still a lot of anger and frustration in your heart. Maybe toward a person. Maybe toward a people. Maybe toward a country. Maybe toward who knows. And you just every day, every week, every month, it's just ingrained in you. You love God. But at the same time, you hate people. You hate your brother. And you're like the guy with the withered hand. You know, you'll get up and come to church. You can do that. You give your tithes and offerings. You can write a check. You'll show up and when we feed the homeless. You can do that. You can make burritos. You, you'll go on a mission trip because you can do that. God calls you. You've been, your whole life of ministry, God's been calling you to do things. You can do, you can do, you can do. And now he calls you to do something you feel like you can't do. So he tells the guy with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And I wonder, one more time he sends the signal. Stretch out your hand. And there could have been so much there. What are you talking about? I've been trying to do this for years. Like, I'm not stretching out my hand. I'm not going to look like a fool. I'm not going to look like an idiot in front of everyone. I'm not stretching my hand. But that's not what the Bible says. The next four words. Stretch out your hand. And he did so. Because this is what we learn. His hand was restored as the other and everyone else is filled with rage and discuss how they're going to kill Jesus. Such, such an opposite view of what Jesus wants to do. So here's what we learn about this guy. We learn that when God sends the command, he also sends the power to obey at the same moment. He doesn't send a command for you to do something today and say, well, I hope you can get it done. 
Yours should be a long year, mature believer. I hope you get it done. I hope you can do it. I hope you can do it all the strength you can muster. No, he actually calls us to do the impossible. And then in the instant, in the moment the command went out, the same moment the power went out, and it was matched by this guy's faith. He trusted God at his word, and his hand was restored. God wants to do that work in us. You might feel like overwhelmed. I don't think I can do this. Ed. I don't know if I can do this. I don't even know I want to do this. I think I love God. And, and yet you know that God has poured love into you. You know that it has given you hope. It's hard to love when the culture is loveless, believe me. It's hard to love when you've been wronged. It's hard to love when injustice abounds. It's hard to love when the love of many grow cold. It's hard, perhaps even impossible. But to those listening where your love has withered up, where you're paralyzed and struggling with loving your neighbor, Jesus enters in and he helps you along the way, first by helping you do things that you can do so that he might call you to the things you can't do or don't want to do. And listen, as you purpose in your heart to obey God, the power of God meets that purpose at the same time and you find yourself doing things you've never done before. And the dude can't call him the man with the withered hand anymore because he doesn't have it. His hand was restored. Remember we learned last time, God loves to rescue, redeem, and what? Restore. It's so good. Hope rooted in love. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. And we pray you're encouraged to step out in love and faith to do what Jesus is calling you to do. The need has never been greater, and time is of the essence. Thanks for listening along with us here on Abounding Grace. Well, Pastor Ed, perhaps some have tried to step out and do what they believe God said to them, and it didn't work. So they say, I'll never do that again. What would you say to them? Can they renew their faith and hope that God has more for them? Well, learning the will of God includes positive and negative. So let's be clear on that. Just because it didn't work out the way you wanted doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. We are so results-oriented that when the results don't happen the way we want them or, you know, when it, it, it's not something uh, what we would term successful, we automatically think, oh, no, what did I do? Now, of course, if, if your decision led you into some sinful behavior, then, you know, that, that wasn't the right choice. But learning how to follow God includes failure. I, I say that I taught this very clearly in the book of Acts where I think I titled the message, Open Doors and closed doors, open doors and closed doors. And we love open doors, that speaks of success, and we automatically think closed doors means failure. But the, the church in Philippi was planted because God closed a door in Paul's life. So be careful not to say, I'll never do that again, unless it refers to sin. Instead, embrace the lessons to be learned through the mistake or through the failure, and like the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. So get up and continue on the path of faith walk, trusting God with your life. Thanks for those encouraging words, Pastor Ed. Today, we put the finishing touches on our series, Hope is Contagious. Now, remember, there are four parts to this series, and you can hear what you missed at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Aurora app. We also offer a podcast, and look for that where you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. 
Each month, we try to pick out a book that we believe can be of some help to your walk with the Lord. And this month, it's Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, authored by Mark Rogop. Now, this book seeks to restore the lost art of lament and will help you discover the power of honest wrestling with the questions that come with grief and suffering. We'll send you the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Request it right now when you call us at 877-30-GRACE. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. And please remember, we are listener-supported. Simply put, that means we look to our listeners to help us with the cost of being on the radio. Large or small, your gift will be greatly appreciated and used to point people to the abounding grace found in a relationship with Jesus and through the study of His Word. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or again, call 877-30-GRACE. We continue to live stream our services at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Watch us through our app, website, or on YouTube. That's Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 8.45 and 10.45. Study the Word in the middle of the week, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. We can tell you more about us at calvaryco.church. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor begins a new study of Daniel. His introductory message focuses on the purity seen in Daniel's life. It will no doubt inspire us to follow in his footsteps. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.